Happy Thursday, Mama. This week we have Alana from Good Night Sleep. We get to hear about Alana's birth story and a little bit about her struggle to conceive. Then she brings us through how she got into being a sleep consultant and lets us ask her about a million questions about getting our kids to go to sleep. While we talk about toddler sleep, we also do touch upon older children, teenagers, and even the important sleep plays in our lives. You can find her at goodnightsleep.com or on social media at goodnightsleep. Be sure you're following us on social media at Mamosa's Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. If you love this week's episode, do us a big favor and head over to the iTunes app and give us a rating and review. Even easier, you can just share the episode with friends who will love it as well. This week's episode is brought to you by Great Kids Snacks. Great Kids Snacks is a subscription box of snacks that gets shipped to your house each month. I think I get more excited each month than the kids do for this box because I love the different types of snacks that come in the boxes. We use these boxes to expose our kids to new foods and honestly just to save ourselves the time of having to think about the snacks to buy at the store. The snacks range from protein snacks to fruit-based snacks and usually have some healthier versions of cookies or chips each month as well. Use the code MOMPOD25, M-O-M-P-O-D-2-5, for 25% off your first box. Go to greatkidssnacks.com, G-R-E-A-T-K-I-D-S-S-N-A-C-K-S.com, and type in MOMPOD25 for 25% off your first box. When you use this code, you are supporting our podcast. Thank you to everyone for your support, and we hope you love this week's episode. Welcome to Mamosas. Hope you have your friends and your drinks nearby. You're here with Kristen and Talia. And today we have another special guest on the show. It's Alana McGinn from Good Night Sleep. Um, she is she has her own podcast, This Girl Loves Sleep. Her website is goodnightsleepsite.com and she's also a certified sleep consultant and then actually has a ton of certifications and I couldn't pick even just five to write down so I chose <laughs> one <laughs> you chose a good one you chose yeah. a good one um so Alana thanks for joining us and it's Alana right it is Alana yeah great because yeah. this whole time in my head I've been saying Alana and then I just heard you say your name on the phone so <laughs> thanks for that <laughs> well it's funny it's everyone in the states calls me Alana so I don't even like I don't even correct it anymore I'm just like yeah that's my name it's All fine right. Close enough. <laughs> so we love to just get everyone, everyone's toes wet by throwing you right in the deep end and asking about your birth stories. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, so I have three kids. Um, my eldest is, is, uh, is 11 and my twins, my youngest are twins. They just turned eight, which I cannot believe. Um, my eldest was pretty textbook, like pretty textbook pregnancy. Um, and then it was pretty like pretty uneventful. It was like the whole movie, like the water broke, my water broke. She was two weeks early, woke up with pain, water broke, went to the hospital. It was a long labor, a long, uh, yeah. Like, I mean, I was 15, it was 15 hours, but I mean, I had drugs, so I was fine. <laughs> and then, you know, my parents came and my husband's parents came and, and it was pretty, like, it was pretty fun. I remember actually, like, people always laugh when I say it, but I'm like, honestly, once I had the epidural, before the epidural, it was, like, not cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a pain. I thought I was going to be a lot stronger than I was. I'm not. Um, but once I had the epidural, I was like, this is cool. I'm good. Baby's good. I'm good. I can do this for however long I need to. Um, and then she was born, and that was it. So she was pretty uneventful. The twins, obviously, it's twins. It's a little always a little different. Um, the plan was to um, not have a C-section with them, and all was going to plan then with by like a week or two before. Um, so maybe I was about thirty-four weeks. Um, my daughter, twin A, flipped, so I had to have a scheduled C-section. Um, but even that was like. It was scheduled. I was 37 and a half weeks. Went in. They did it. That's, I mean, those that have had a C-section, it's not that fun. You know, both of you have. Yeah. No, just I have me. not. Just oh, oh, just you. 
Okay. My, God, my daughter flipped too, little Did stinker. She? Yeah, yep. she's still a little bugger too. She's always that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she still is. Love her to death. But um, no, you know what? I'm I'm happy that at least I can say like I got to experience both kinds of births. Um, the C-section was fine. I mean, they don't, my concern obviously was recovery because I knew I would have two babies plus a toddler. But what they don't really prepare you for, I find with C-sections is like the actual procedure. Like that's what I wasn't mentally prepared for until I was actually going through it. Like thinking, hang on a second, I'm awake for this. And I know that my like innards are on a table beside me. And this is just all like, this isn't how it should be, you know? And you're but, vacuuming my innards. Yeah. Like shaking like this. And, yeah. Oh, was God. Just, well, that was the part I wasn't really prepared for, but recovery from that thankfully was fine and they were healthy which obviously is all that matters um and they were full term and yeah so different two totally different births but both thankfully uneventful i feel like the first always kind of like sets you up for failure when they're that easy like oh my pregnancy was great i had a nice you know standard birth and then you're like all right so this isn't so bad i can have 15 more kids and then like Oh, yeah. surprise. You're you're going to have two surprise one of them flipped like Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have to say as I love the baby part and the children part, I could I always say like I could have 15 kids. I don't love being pregnant. I never really did. It's not again, my pregnancies uh, obviously the twin pregnancy was a lot different than the singleton pregnancy. The twin pregnancy was a lot harder, but being what could have happened having a multiple pregnancy, it was a pretty uneventful pregnancy thankfully. I didn't love it. I don't, I'm not that person that like loved being pregnant and could be pregnant for years. Like, no, I was like, cook them. Let's get it done. <laughs> get them out. Get them out. But then happy. Once they were in my arms, I'm like, okay, but I don't. So if someone else could have my babies, I would have 15, but I'm okay. good now. Yeah. I mean, there are people that would do that. If there you are. are interested. Yes. And perhaps had I known that 11 years ago, no, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm happy with how it all turned out. But yeah, I was just never one of those people that like cherished pregnancy. I could do You're without glowing. it. You're glowing. Yeah. As my no. husband used to tell me and I would punch him. You're a yeah. birthing goddess. Yeah. My favorite. So how was that transition going from one kid to three kids? It was heavy. Yeah, it was a lot. I always say it was like going from none to one. Like you're, I mean, I don't know what it's like going from one to two. So maybe it's the same. I don't know. Um, I imagine adding another child into the mix is always comes with its own set of difficulties. But going from one to three was like your whole world just kind of goes, you know, and she was older. Like she was, we went through fertility with the twins. Like we struggled. We had, we went through secondary infertility, probably a reason why I didn't love being pregnant because it was such a journey to get there. And maybe some people would say, well, then you should be so happy that you're pregnant. But for me, there's like always just so much worry and concern. Like I just yeah. didn't feel okay until they were in my arms. You know what I mean? Um, so she was three and a half when they were born. I mean, not she wasn't like super old. you know, our goal was we wanted, you know, in a perfect world, we would have liked the two years apart. So she was, you know, we had a, an only child for three and a half years. So then to throw like two more into the mix, it was like, what? But you just figure it out like anything, right? Like, like, like I said, going from none to one, you just figure it out and do it. So. Well, it's yeah. not even like she went from like having no one take her attention to one person take her attention. She's like, oh, I'm the center of the universe too. There are two kids screaming all the time. Yeah. Well, and we laugh because I mean, so much of me going through fertility treatments and, you know, we had a lot of losses and it was, it was a hard road to get to the twins. And, um, but I always would like, I don't know. I mean, I say like, maybe if it wasn't for her, maybe we wouldn't, we would have stopped. And uh, I don't think I would have, I think I would have kept going, but we, I really wanted her to have a brother or sister. Um, so then when we kind of gave her both and she was just like, what is going on? Like, <laughs> I was like, an only what child. is this? What is this? What is happening here? So we kind of laugh. I'm like, sorry, one day you'll thank me. And now I have to say she's an awesome big sister. So it all worked out, but yeah, it was a shock for everybody. For sure. Yeah. Did you go through any postpartum depression or anxiety or OCD with I either think, pregnancy? Yeah, I think with the twins, I did go through some anxiety. Um, uh, yeah, with Sophie, not so much. I think I was okay with her. Um, we had breastfeeding issues in the beginning with her, which always kind of throws a wrench into things. But 
thankfully that kind of got worked out. Um, but with the twins, I think I did. I think I did suffer. So I not diagnosed, mm-hmm. um, but I think I did suffer from some postpartum anxiety. It still rears his head every now and then. Um, you know, anxiety, little things will trigger certain things that you tend to kind of spiral. So um, now eight years later, obviously, I, I mean, I don't know if I can call it postpartum anxiety, but I mean, I, I think like many, we suffer from anxiety as moms and the stress of just being a mom and motherhood and working and all that fun stuff. So yeah, anxiety rears its head every now and then for me, for sure. Um, I think it's probably something I've always suffered from. Uh, and I don't even, I, I use the word suffered very lightly. Um, but something I've always had issues with, mm-hmm. and I think having the twins might've kind of heightened that a little bit. Um, but I feel as I'm getting older and, and learning more about it and being more vocal about it, I feel like I've, uh, learned to stay away from certain triggers and, you know, just to kind of help with that. Ugh, I need to learn to stay away from triggers. That's still an issue for me. Yeah. I just, I I just go right for them. I know. No, I really, with me, it's like, I, I have huge, like as a mom, I have like huge health anxieties. I don't know. That's just my, that's my like trigger. Mm-hmm. So like I, I've gotten to the point where I even like take stuff. Like I don't watch Grey's Anatomy anymore. <laughs> I don't watch cause I'm like, I'll watch and I'll be like, I have that. I have that symptom. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? So like, I don't, I just like little things like that where it just, it helps, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I always wonder too, with the first, if there's that blissful ignorance, um, I had postpartum anxiety after my second, but I had two miscarriages in between. And so I think there's kind of like, that whirlwind of like, oh, now I, now I know that I can lose this baby and, you know, and now I've read all this stuff to understand how to parent my first. So now I know all the things I did wrong and, you know, all the ways I damaged the first one. So now, you know, like there's like that added stress of like, all right, so you could die. Um, I could probably kill you by giving you a grape that I didn't know about the first time around. (laughs) Right. And, and I, and I do wonder if that did have something to do with it. Like the journey to get the twins, like we also suffered from, we had three losses prior to them and, um, went through, like had them through IUI. So there was a lot of, just a lot of stuff that I think that so busy, like you were saying, just like barreling through it, that I don't Mm -hmm. think I really processed my roller coaster of emotions, getting the twins. And then once I was, and then the pregnancy was hard. And then once having them, maybe everything just kind of went bloop, you know, and it just hit me at that moment. Who knows? But, um, yeah. Well, I could talk to you so much about your process of getting pregnant with the twins, but I think Kristen, that's a whole other episode. I, that's yeah. a whole other episode. So we're going <laughs> to switch into your expertise. Yeah. So let's talk about sleep. So you had your first and I assume like all of us, you were like, sure, you'll fall asleep when you get tired and this will make sense and it's not a big deal. And then your kids didn't sleep and you said, how do I survive? Yeah, I was, um, you know, this is again, like 11, she's 11 now. So, um, you know, 11, 12 years ago, um, my industry wasn't really around to hire a sleep consultant or, um, and sleep wasn't really spoken about. Even when you took your prenatal courses, it was a lot about the birth and the labor and breastfeeding and stuff. And sure, they mentioned sleep a little bit, but until you have a baby, you really don't realize how little you will be sleeping and how dependent you are on their schedule, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, when your baby wakes up, you have to wake up too. <laughs> you don't really think about that um, until you have a baby to wake up to. So um, I was the same way. You know, I knew nothing about baby sleep really until once I had my daughter. And like I said, there wasn't people like me around to hire to help. Um, I was kind of one of the first out of my group of friends to have a child. So I didn't really have anyone that I could talk to, you know, social media and stuff like that wasn't what it was now. There wasn't really that connection that I could reach out to and, and see. Um, so it was just talking to a couple friends, reading some books, um, figuring out what worked for our family and then using it on her. And then, you know, ha- uh, sleep trained her, helped friends and then had the twins and, um, wanted to do something from home. Uh, always wanted to run my own business. Not, didn't really know what I wanted to do at that time. Never would I thought it would have been sleep until, you know, now and, um, had my twins and my girlfriend was actually going to hire a sleep consultant. Uh, her son is, was a couple months older than the twins. And I thought, well, why are you going to hire someone? Like I can just help you. Um, and then it was my husband that's like, well, why don't you look into this? And, um, I did find out that you could get certified for it. And, 
you know, Goodnight Sleep Sight was born with my twins. They were 10 months old when we launched it. So how was your experience getting the twins to sleep? Because I have to imagine that getting one child to sleep versus getting two that are the same age to sleep is a totally different ballgame. Well, I mean, yes and no, for sure. I mean, whenever I'm working with, we, we, we work with a lot of multiple families and obviously being a multiple parent myself, I mean, the fundamentals of sleep are the same. Um, you know, what we would apply in a sleep plan for a singleton would be the same as twins. It just, everything with twins just takes longer. Are you guys twin parents? I don't even know mm-hmm. if you are. Yeah. So everything just takes longer, right? Cause you have now two babies to feed and do bedtime routine and change diaper and put down. Um, but you know, like I said, the fundamentals are pretty much the same. So, and, and I had the luxury of being a been there, done that parent. So had they have been my first, yes, it probably would have been a lot harder. Um, but I went into it kind of already having an understanding of what I needed to do and what to expect and things like that. And, uh, I'm fortunate where I have a very helpful and hands-on husband and we both have our sets of parents that live close to us. So we had our village. So I was very lucky in that aspect. They, they could help out. Um, so it wasn't too bad. It wasn't too bad, but I'll, I'll be honest when I had, when they said you're having twins, that was the very first thought in my head. Was, <laughs> oh my God, how am I going to get two babies to sleep? Mm-hmm. Um, it really was probably one of the first thoughts, uh, but we did it. So, and it can be done. And so you actually work not just with babies, but you work with toddlers and and families in general, right? Your goal is to get the whole family sleeping well, right? That's right. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit to to the importance of sleep? Like, I, I feel like that's kind of a silly question, right? But a lot of us, I think, kind of undervalue how important sleep really is, not just for the baby, but for us as parents and for those middle kids, the ones that are in that like four to, you know, teenage range. Yeah, it really is. Um, I mean, we know obviously how important it is for our little ones to to get healthy sleep. I mean, there's so much growing and developing developing at that age, um, and sleep is a need. It's a necessity, and we often overlook that part of it. There's, you know, to give an example, we work with a lot of families who struggle with, you know, swimming lessons and music class, and well, I can't give them a nap at this time because you know they need to learn how to swim and they need to sing songs at like six months of age. And I'm just like, they need to learn how to sleep. (laughs) That's the need. So we kind of often, not to say that learning how to swim isn't important because it is. Um, But if you're asking me if it's more important for a six month old to learn how to swim or to have a proper nap, it's a proper nap. So we definitely need to recognize the value of sleep for sure. Um, And in saying that with our older kids, we get a lot, a lot of parents that are coming to us um, in the adolescent years. So we're looking at like anywhere as really as young as six, but like from eight to teens, um, Mm -hmm. eight years old to teens that are really struggling with sleep. We're getting kids in that age range contacting us saying, can you talk to my parents? I need help sleeping for whatever reason. Um, Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, 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 it's pretty insane. Uh, It's, I mean, it's, it's, I get it. I understand why it's happening. Um, but it's, it's, it's something that we need to do. So we're actually in the process now of developing a program for that age group that's going to be launching in the fall. So with back to school and stuff like that. Um, and we're creating a program just strictly for that age group and that will work both with parents and with kids. So, um, cause it's a huge necessity for sure. Yeah. I mean, I teach, I'm an elementary school teacher. I teach third grade and I can see, you know, when they walk in the door, yeah, who's got a good night's sleep and who has it. And I will talk to kids, you know, and ask them, what time did you go to bed last night? You look really tired. And I can't even tell you how many kids I was up till 11 o'clock playing Fortnite, you know, yeah. and a lot of times, well, my dad or my mom lets me, you know, sleep with the TV on. I mean, I was one of those kids, you know, when I was in high school, I would fall asleep with the TV on and my mom would come in and turn it off. But, you know, Oh, I slept with the TV on or, you know, somebody was bothering me in the middle of the night. I mean, it's just and it affects them so much. It does. Every way. And across the board, I mean, we see a lot of kids, uh, you know, and again, I don't want to I don't want to say that some kids aren't being properly diagnosed, but we're seeing more and more diagnosis of like things like ADHD and things like Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Um, When I'll be honest, a lot of the case, I I don't want to say a lot of cases. I don't want to put a blanket response on that. But some of the cases are strictly just these kids are overtired. They're overstressed. They're overtired. Um, They mimic the same symptoms as something like ADHD. Um, And it's, in my opinion, sleep deprivation is a huge uh, epidemic. And we're seeing it um, 
you know, I'm in Canada, we're seeing it in Canada, we're seeing it in the States, we're seeing it worldwide. Well, I, sh- I don't actually want to say worldwide because there's some countries that really put a priority, more of a priority on sleep than others. But um, we're, we're definitely seeing it in our kids. And it's, it's scary because we work with, we spot, speak to a lot of adults who have been struggling with sleep from elementary school or even from toddlerhood. Um, and it carries on, it can carry on with you for a lifetime. So, mm-hmm. and it's wild to see it. My, my oldest is, uh, he is tough with sleep. Like he's just really always been tough and I'm, I'm pretty, um, you know, I, I really think sleep is super important, but you can see in him. I mean, if he does not get enough sleep, you can see how like just out of control he feels like you can just feel the energy coming off of him of like how out of control he feels. Um, so what, when you have kind of a kid that age range, right? So we're kind of like out of that, like young toddler, young baby. And now we're kind of in that like four, five, six range, like maybe three. And, you know, they have that, that routine They're you know, the same routine every night they've got, you know, whatever it is, their shower, their books, go to bed. And they're still really fighting sleep, but they're in that independent stage where they're not in a crib anymore. Um, how can parents help those kids learn to sleep? So, I mean, there's a few ways to do it. One is definitely once we get into that age range of them being able to kind of understand the expectations, the first thing that I always say is communication is key. So they need to understand, um, why they need to sleep, not just, you know, Timmy, you have to go to bed, but why does Timmy have to go to bed? What does sleep do for him? How does he feel when he's had a good night's sleep? How does he feel when he hasn't had a good night's sleep? How does mom and dad feel when Timmy's allowed mom and dad to have a really good night's sleep? Cause they do want to make us proud. They want to do right by us. Right. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, so it's important to kind of sit down and, and it can start as early as two, three years old and just open up the communication about sleep the same way we tell them how to, you know, what foods, you know, eat your, your vegetables. Cause it's good for you. And don't smack your brother because that's not a nice thing to do. We have to talk about the importance of sleep and why it's important to sleep. So open up the communication for sure is important. Um, when your child is no longer in a crib, sometimes we have to take steps to maybe perhaps crib the room. So what I mean by that is um, making sure we're definitely with a safe sleep environment, even when they're outside of a crib, especially. So making sure all furniture is bolted to the wall. Um, you know, there's there's no dangers. All electrical sockets are covered and things like that. Um, but you're removing things. I mean, we some of the clients we've had to work with, we've had to take out everything except for the dresser and the bed, you know, so toys, any kind of distractions, that type of thing. Um whether it be gating the door, um, whether it be silently returning. So, you know, if, if the toddler does, or the child, I shouldn't say toddler, if the child does come out of the room, it's bringing them back in very low stimulation, um, you know, putting them back in the bed. Uh, and you might have to do that 50 times in the night for them to finally understand that, okay, mom, mom or dad mean business, you know, but it's definitely coming together as a, as a team with your partner and saying, okay, these are the steps we have to take. We've got to be consistent with that. When I'm working with parents of older kids, anywhere from toddlers up to, you know, six, six years of age, I always say who's training who, you know, and it's always the child that's training the parent. So it's really just, again, coming back to the fundamentals are the same age appropriate bedtimes, um, you know, consistent, uh, and conducive environment, sleep environment, safe sleep environment. But, at that age, it's, it's setting those limits and setting those boundaries. And your child can sleep through the night. Your child can do it. I mean, at that age, it's not a question of teaching them how to sleep. They know how to sleep. But are we giving them the opportunity to sleep on their own? And chances are we're not because they're asking us to stay in the room and therefore we are. So we have to remove that. I know it's hard. I mean, it's so easy for me to say it. Um, oh, my gosh. Well, I was I was just going to ask you, like, what do you think about like, what are your thoughts on co-sleeping? I know for us, like, I mean, we have our situations unique. My daughter has a lot of medical needs, but I know a lot of parents that do co-sleep and then we did it, you know, where she slept in the middle of our bed for a long time. And then we upgraded her to her own bed. But one of us every single night. You know, she wakes up, she cries. One of us is in there. When I go in, I try to get her back down and then sneak out if I don't fall asleep in the bed. My husband just like he goes in. That's where he sleeps for the night. He's in, (laughs) you know, and we got her a nice, decent bed because we knew that we would probably need to like do that a lot. But I mean, I can't even think of the last time that we both went to bed in our bed and woke up and we were both like in bed in the morning together. Yeah. 
I mean, in terms of co-sleeping, it depends, right? So it sounds to me like if you're making, as a sleep professional, I always have to talk, if we're talking about babies for anyone listening who has a baby and within, you know, that, that first year, I mean, I always have to talk about safe sleep practices um, that are followed by, you know, you guys are in the States, American Academy of Pediatrics or Canadian Pediatrics Society for the Canadians listening, um, ABCs of safe sleep. So having your baby sleep alone on their back and in their crib. Room sharing, fine if the crib's in the mom and dad's room. For our older kids, if you're choosing to have a family bed and it's working for you, I mean, who am I to say to stop doing it? But right. when it's a situation like yours, to me, that sounds more like what we call reactive bed sharing, right? So it's like you're sleeping in the bed or they're in your bed because that's just how things end up. <laughs> or yeah. that's just what you do to like get in those last couple hours, right? So Again, if it works for your family, because sometimes some families are like, eh, doesn't really bother me. You know, we'll keep doing it. Fair enough. Again, who am I to tell you to change it? It's when it's not working for you guys as a family. So now you're becoming that sleep deprived family unit that isn't good for anybody, right? Um, Where you might have to make some changes. So again, opening up that communication. Uh, How old is she? She just turned four. She just turned four. So, I mean, I always say, don't just spring it on them. Don't just say like when you're putting her to bed, you know, that's it. You're in your bed on your own. Like we're not coming in, but you know, talk, talk about it, you know, so that she, she knows even maybe mark it on the calendar. So she knows like come this night, you know, she's a big girl. She sleeps in her big girl bed by herself. Um, and, and, uh, again, they, they need to understand what the expectations are and what the sleep rules are. Sometimes we just assume that they know. Um, but if Mm -hmm. you've been doing it one way for a very long time, you might have to talk about doing it the other way a little bit more before actually doing it. Yeah. And the hard part, you know, my husband and I, and I think a lot of parents find this, you were a pretty unified front in most cases. This is the one case that I'm more of be nice to have her in her own bed and like obviously that's why I keep creeping out and he's the one that's like it's fine I don't mind you know so you know finding that balance of okay we're going to make this decision like right now obviously you know hey I get a king-size bed to myself I get to star (laughs) starfish it up like it doesn't bother us per se (laughs) I think more along the lines of like other kids down the line you know what's going to happen when we have other kids you know, is he going to be in bed with her and I'm in bed with another kid and then we just never see each other and we just, you know, fingers passing through the night or (laughs) what is that going to look like? Well, to have other kids, you're going to have to see each other at some point, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Hi over there. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, you know, again, that's a decision. This is why it's so important to put that plan together and sit down with your partner to discuss it and just be like, okay, what, what is the plan here? What is the game plan? Um, and if you're ready to make changes, then you both have to be on board. And the reason why it's harder at night is because you guys are tired. Like, so it's like desperate measures, right? It's okay. What are we going to do just to get some sleep? So that's when you tend to see that inconsistency happening more so than perhaps how you uh, set boundaries limits during the day. Um, but there, it really is no different. You know, if you're telling her no during the day, you, we also sometimes have to tell our kids no, um, at night. It doesn't mean we're not parenting our kids throughout the night. Cause you hear that a lot. You know, you need to be parenting 24 seven. Well, this parent needs to sleep. Like that's how I'm going to properly parent my kid is if I wake up to me, that is, that is meeting the needs of my kids too, is to give them as well rested a parent as I can. And to set um, boundaries. Oh, 100%. Like, it's okay to, in my opinion, it's okay to say no. I mean, I'm not a parenting educator. I'm a sleep educator. But um, listen, I say no to my kids. I sometimes in the morning, I wake up thinking, okay, how can I disappoint my children? Because (laughs) listen, they have to learn disappointment. And if I'm not teaching it, like, what are they going to learn it when they're 20 in the real world? Like, no way. It's it's up to me to disappoint them so that they can kind of brush it on and move on with life, right? That sounds like such a Kristen quote. I just imagine you like later on when the kids are older. All right, how can I disappoint them today? They need to learn this. Yep. I'm going to teach them resiliency through me. I was at Mops last week and this girl said something that I don't think I'll ever forget. She said, um, you know, we were talking about grandparents and how sometimes grandparents can overindulge the grandkids, which for the most part, I think is fine. That's the grandparents' job. Yeah. And so she was like, yeah, like, you know, they'll say, Oh, well, she, you know, she wanted it. So I gave it to her. And she's like, look, fine. But she also wants to be a dragon. I mean, we can't just do whatever she wants. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. true. I remember at my, uh, we were at a birthday party um, and 
there was something that they wanted my daughter to take home. And I'm like, no, she can't have that. I can't even, this was, she was little, she was like two years old. So it was my mother-in-law who I love to death. She's an awesome woman. But then she like just started like giving her stuff. Okay. Well, they'd here, you can have this here. And I'm like, or you can just say no, like, or she can just be upset for half an hour. Like that's okay too. You know? Yeah. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's it is hard. It is funny. Um, so with naps, when, you know, I think a lot of kids nowadays are dropping their nap at like two, uh, which there, there's no way in my life that I would handle that. But what are your thoughts on naps? Like, you know, when I was growing up, we took naps in kindergarten. So do you think kids just didn't need them back then? Or is there just kind of a shift in like kids getting more sleep at night? Or or what do you think about naps and when's sort of a good average age for dropping them? Yeah, I mean, we don't normally recommend dropping naps anywhere between three and five years of age. So I definitely think that every child is different. I think that there are those kids that perhaps can drop them as early as three. I think that there are those kids who are maybe a bit more sleep sensitive and need to hang on to them until five, until like they go to a full day every day school. Um, That's not to say that there are some kids who can't drop them at two. But if anyone's listening and thinking that by me saying that it means your two-year-old can drop a nap, that's probably not the case. So don't do that. Um, I think that perhaps we're seeing it more in today's society because uh, daycare obviously is a lot harder. Um, sometimes, you know, the, the child isn't necessarily ready to drop a nap, but are kind of forced to through whatever kind of parent care is happening, which is understandable. I mean, it happens. It's no fault of anybody's. Um, and then, you know, I also, again, it's coming back to the swimming lessons and the music lessons and this lesson and that lesson. It's, you know, our kids are, we're a lot more over schedule. We're over scheduling our kids a lot more than we were when we were little. I mean, I, didn't do half of the stuff that some of these kids are doing when I was that age, you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, and again, this is where sleep is often overlooked as a need. And it's, it's like your kid needs to take that nap, you know? So, um, I don't personally recommend dropping all naps, um, until anywhere between three to five years of age, base it on your child, you know, see how they are, but that's where bedtime is so important. Whenever you're removing that sleep, that nap, always make it up with an earlier bedtime. So if you're removing all the sleep, but then always still focusing on maybe a later bedtime, you're, you're going to be, you know, your child's going to start accumulating a sleep debt. So making sure that, you know, bedtime is nice and early once we're removing the naps until they're used to no naps. And then you can maybe shift it back later again. But um, whenever you're removing sleep, we're not getting rid of the amount of sleep. We're just kind of redistributing it throughout the day, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And are there signs that your kid is ready to take a nap besides um, them setting your house on fire when you try to put them down for a nap? <laughs> I mean, I think that we, sh- yeah, there are. I mean, obviously, if your child is is no longer, um, if it, they're in that age range and is no longer napping during the day consistently, um, it might be time. Or if you're seeing that they are taking that nap, but now it's really kind of cutting into bedtime and bedtime's being pushed out really too late. Um, it might be time to cap that nap or drop it all together if they're in that age range. I still think that it's important to have some kind of quiet time. So maybe don't even call it nap time anymore, but um, call it quiet time. And if you're, because listen, if you're home with a toddler, chances are you have a baby at home too. Like you need that quiet time. You need your child in their room away from you for a good hour or two, if you can do it, you know, where we've all been there. Um, so call a quiet time. I always say like, create like what we call a quiet time box where you can put different quiet time activities. Um, and they choose one activity. They bring that up into their bedroom. Obviously, you know, depending on your child, it doesn't have to be like painting and coloring, but like puzzles or figurines or books or anything that they can kind of bring and just have that quiet time in their room by themselves they fall asleep. Great. If they don't, at least they've had a little bit of a rest. You've had a little bit of rest um, until you can kind of gradually phase that out completely. And okay. what, what do that you think sense. is um, a normal range for kids to like a good range for kids to fall asleep um, at night, you know, like seven to eight at, in those different age groups. So, you know, the toddlers and then those kind of older kids. Yeah, when we're looking at, I mean, toddlers, I don't even recommend a two-year-old going to sleep past seven. So you're still looking at like a good seven to 7.30, I would say anywhere from two to, um, I would say like two to four, keeping with the earlier bedtime. Um, just to kind of give you an idea, my twins are eight. They actually still go to bed at eight. Now, they probably could go to bed a bit later. Um 
maybe 8.30, and we'll probably do that in the summer. I just don't want them to go to bed at 8.30 because I'm done by 8. So, you know, I have my eldest goes to bed at 9. She definitely can go to bed later, but, like, my mom card is punched at 9. So we're a big, like, we're a big time early bedtime pusher in this house. We focus really on early bedtime. So that's kind of gives you an idea of, you know, okay, I would, I would say anywhere between 7 and 8 up until – six or seven years of age. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And then what about teenagers? You know, I know we have some listeners who have older kids. I mean, you know, we talk a lot about toddlers and babies because that's just our season of life. But um, we do have some listeners who have teenagers and, you know, so they're getting up for school probably at like 630 or seven. So are they still trying to get in that eight o'clock bedtime? Ideally. Well, so here's and actually, uh, now that you bring it up, I'm actually doing a segment on a morning show where I live on Monday about adolescent sleep. So if you guys follow me on Instagram at GN Sleep Site or on Facebook, Good Night Sleep Site, I'll be posting that segment come Monday once it uh, once it's available for me to post. Um, so if anyone has kids between the ages of eight to teens, this is the segment that you want to be watching because I'm going to be giving all talking all about sleep and sleep habits in this age range. With our teens, what tends to happen is uh, there, there's a natural shift in their natural sleep rhythms. Once they start going through puberty and their circadian rhythms, um, it shifts later. So when, when our brain releases melatonin, that's our natural sleep hormone happens later with our teens. So for babies, for adults, that melatonin is released earlier in the evening. So we can get those earlier bedtimes, right? Um, with our teenagers, it shifts to later. So even though we perhaps want our teens going to bed at nine or 10, biologically speaking, their body might not be able to fall asleep till say 11 or 12. And this is why we're seeing a huge epidemic with sleep, uh, debt and sleep loss with that age group, age range, because once they get into high school, their school start times start earlier as well, Mm -hmm. earlier than elementary school. So their bodies aren't able to fall asleep until later at night. And now they have to wake up earlier um, to get to school, but it doesn't mean that they need less sleep. You know, we're looking at uh, six to 13 years of age, you're still looking at nine to 11 hours of sleep at uh, 14 to 17 years of age. You're still looking at eight to 10 hours of sleep. So they still need a good chunk of sleep at night, but we're, it's, it's a lot harder for them to get in that sleep. And then yeah. you can't really make that sleep up on the weekends, right? No. And, and this is often what we think is that we can just kind of make it up with like sleeping in on a Saturday. When you have a chronic sleep debt or you have like, I always think of it like look at it as like a bank, right? So if you owe $10 to the bank, you have 10 hours of sleep loss, which most of us have a lot more than that. But if we're just using that as an example, and then we're just putting in a buck, we're just putting in that extra hour on Saturday, well, we still have that nine hours of sleep loss or that $9 in debt, right? So, um, you know, I always say follow that 80-20 rule, and this is for all ages, really focus 80% of the time on following consistent sleep patterns, getting in the right amount of sleep, the right quality of sleep, following consistent sleep environments, consistent bedtimes, all of that. 20% of the time, listen, life happens. Naps are going to be missed for our little ones. Bedtimes are going to be too late. We're going to have to get up early for whatever reason. Um, But if you're able to 80% of the time remain well-rested, you can live a life without being, having that sleep debt. Um, yeah. What are some ways that adults are seeing the sleep debt in themselves? So with kids, you know, the symptoms kind of, um, mimic ADHD, but in adults, how are we kind of seeing it for ourselves? Well, we're just seeing it with, you know, we're seeing extreme daytime sleepiness. Um, you know, when you're waking up, still feeling really tired when you're showing a lot of daytime sleepiness, um, throughout the day. We also see it with adults, you know, you see long-term health risks with um, chronic sleep deprivation. And this is chronic. So I don't want people listening to think, oh, if I have a bad night's sleep, I have an increased chance of heart disease. You don't. Um, But if you're suffering from chronic sleep loss and you have a poor relationship with sleep and it's ongoing, then, you know, there is an increase in things like heart disease, stroke, obesity, diabetes, um, and just how you feel generally day-to-day, like your general day-to-day mood. Like we all know what it's like to not have a good night of sleep. So um, those are all signs and symptoms of sleep loss for sure. And I know a lot of people will probably, I guarantee you get this question all the time. Um, but when you do your sleep courses, your sleep training, does it, is it just a method of cry it out or, or what can people kind of expect from that? Cause I know a lot of people don't like to let their babies cry. But sometimes you kind of have to to help them sleep. So I think what's important, unfortunately, sleep. And here's the thing, guys, 
everybody who works in this industry hates the term sleep training, but it just unfortunately is the term that is used and understood. Um, but I shouldn't, I should use understood, understood loosely. When we hear the term sleep training, we automatically think method. So we automatically think cried out. Um, and really what we teach at, at Goodnight Sleep Site is that it's not just the method. It's, there's so much, we, we work with our four key sleep tools. So the first sleep tool is sleep environment. So making sure we're working with an age-appropriate sleep environment, one that's conducive, one that's consistent, and one that's safe. Um, second is nap. So making sure that we're napping baby well or napping toddler well, and are they getting in that daytime sleep? If you've done any reading on sleep, you know that sleep equals sleep. So making sure that we're getting in that those proper naps throughout the day, those consolidated naps throughout the day. Um, and then we're looking at third key sleep tool is bedtime. So following that consistent bedtime routine, an age-appropriate bedtime. Like, you know, I said it before, I, I focus on an earlier bedtime. So is, if our kids are going to bed way too late um, and not napping well, not in that consistent environment, and then all we're focusing is on the fourth tool, the method, um, all we're doing is sleep training, um, you know, a child who is likely chronically overtired who isn't going to accept that method well. So is cry out a method that is used? Yeah, it is, for sure. But there's other... there's there's so many methods out there. I mean, you have to choose the method that works best for your family. Unfortunately, so you can go gradual or you can go more direct with the cried out. But no matter what method you use, there likely will be some crying because the crying is the result of you changing how you your child is used to you responding to them. Because no matter what method you use, you likely have to change that response. Um, and that's really what the crying stems from. So um, there's a lot of methods out there make sure you're using all the tools. And we have a lot of information on each of these tools at goodnightsleepsite.com. Um, but use all the tools and, um, and choose the method that not just works for you and your partner, but also that is going to work for your child. And I say that because it's often not the method that mom and dad want to use. So if you want to use a more gradual method where you're more involved and in the room, that might not be the best method for your child because it might just reset them. So it really depends. Yeah, I agree on that. I talk about this all the time, but my oldest is, is a lot more sensitive to change and environmental changes. Mm. And so things with him have to be really gradual. Um, but my middle, like he could care less. So you could, yeah. you know, Every with him, yeah. So with him, you can do like a quick change and he's fine. No problem. But with our oldest, you really have to, you know, talk to him about it, prepare him for it. And, you know, to your point, like communicate, you know, the importance of sleep and why do we do this this way? And, you know, just give him like little steps to get there. Um, so I totally agree with the finding the method for your, yeah. for your family. <laughs> and everything's different. I mean, we have a lot of clients that contact us that, uh, are on their second, third, fourth kid, you know, and they're like, we never had to deal with this with our first child or our first and second child. Like now we need your help or we thought we had it all figured out and this kid is just not taken to the plan, you know? So we have to kind of reconfigure because, you know, your plan for your first child might not work as well for your second child. So you do have to customize the steps you take for that child and their personality, their temperament, um, for sure. Yeah. So before we get into our end of the podcast questions, well, Talia, once again, I've bogarted the um, interview, so I apologize. Is there anything else that you <laughs> wanted to ask? Um, I just, I had a question about, so my sleep is probably pretty crappy. Uh, I wake up in the morning tired and all I keep thinking about is how I put myself to bed at mm -hmm. night. You know, my husband snores like a train and if I fall asleep at the same time or after him, I need something to, you know, block that out. And then it became something like then I needed sound to fall asleep to. So I'll fall asleep with like earbuds in with like a show going on my phone and I'm not watching it. I'm just listening to it. But I find right. myself waking up at like two in the morning and it's obviously off and I feel like, oh, I need it again to like fall back asleep. And I wonder, is that something that's probably very like negatively affecting my quality of sleep? I assume it probably is. Well, I mean, yes and no. So in saying that, I do think that, um, you know, with adults especially, and I shouldn't even say with adults because with kids, I'm. we were just talking about this earlier, we're seeing, you know, TV in kids' rooms and things mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Tech is a huge sleep buster for sure. That is probably, in my opinion, one of the main reasons why we are such a sleep-deprived society. So we would definitely want to be focusing on turning tech off and getting tech out of the bedroom. 
That being said, there are tech, I think, that can help us sleep better. There's a lot of apps now, a lot of podcasts, a lot of things like bedtime stories that are going to help us kind of, especially adults and our kids too, um, that will help us kind of quiet our mind, um, help us fall asleep and things like that. Um, so I do think that there is some importance to that and that could be worked into your sleep hygiene. Um, I don't know that I would, you know, turn on a show. Like, I don't know that that's like the right thing to do. Um, but I have a, I have a lot of clients who use white noise machines, sound spas, things like that. There's no harm in that, that you can continue turning on a fan. Um, we deal with a lot of snoring partners. I have one myself. My husband's a snorer. Um, Mm -hmm. earplugs work great, but I also know with parents of little kids, you know, earplugs isn't a a great solution because obviously you want to be able to hear your kids, but there's, you know, different things that you can do. So it's not to say that it's terrible, but if you're, if you're waking up because it turns off then that's what we kind of want to avoid. Well, and I probably, you know, to your idea of, you know, I mean, we had a sound machine in our room when, when our daughter was in our room, the sound machine's now in her room. But, you know, like a podcast that like focuses, like that's what they're doing. I mean, what probably is terrible is that, you know, I have it really low and then all of a sudden, you know, the intro song to like the show comes on yeah. and it's like, ah! you know, yeah. like, <laughs> blasts you into like the next room. It's like, that's probably not, great no yeah you want to be focusing on listening to things that are set up for sleep and there's a lot of there's great apps like there's so many amazing meditation apps and um calm is a great one if i can throw out a brand name um i love that app um there's so many great apps that you can listen to that are geared towards helping you sleep better for sure Okay. I like that idea. Yeah. Cause I mean, I think, you know, that's something that I've always had as a kid and I think it's something probably very common that we have with our, with our kids and ourselves as adults. And like you've said, and Kristen tells me all the time, the importance of sleep. So I know it's something that we need to function as people. Yes. We have to remember as parents, like, listen, where are our, our kids, our business, we're like, we're the biggest asset. So, you know, mm-hmm. as moms, we tend to, well, I don't even say as moms, as adults, I feel like we tend to wear sleep deprivation as a badge of honor and we have to stop doing that. We really have to, it's one of the three pillars of health, you know, nutrition, exercise, sleep. And if we're, you know, focusing on the other two, we got to be focusing on the sleep part too. Yeah, absolutely. I also have a snoring, you know, fright train of a husband. Um, and I usually had a rule that I wouldn't wear earplugs until the kids are six months. Cause I just feel like more comfortable with like our ability to hear them. Um, but I just, I can't where we had just had our third baby eight weeks ago and I just can't do it. Oh, I'm like, get out. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Um, so I wear earplugs and we have sound machines in all the kids rooms now. Um, and the baby yeah. sleeps in our room still. So that sound machine like lulls me right to sleep. Yeah. And then we're in the earplugs. So he does, I don't, he doesn't bother me. I mean, sometimes I'll wake up and I'll just kind of be like, Hey, roll over. Um, but I, I'm a huge advocate of the earplugs. I sleep so much better with them in. Like when he's not in town and I don't wear earplugs, I like, I cannot sleep at all because I can hear every yeah. noise. Yeah. No, they can, they can work really, really well for sure. So just another plug for the earplugs, Talia. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, while you guys have been talking, I just got calm on my phone and oh, I'm there you setting go. it up yet, but it is now officially on there and I'm going to be using awesome it tonight. You'll it. back. <laughs> Let you know how it goes. So before we get into our end of the podcast questions, um, are there any resources, you know, from your website or really, I would love for you to tell our listeners about the different things that they can get out of your website. You know, what, what services you offer? That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Why don't you so tell our listeners? <laughs> yeah, we have a team of 20, uh, over 20 consultants throughout Canada and the U.S. Um, so you can find out how to work with a good night consultant at goodnightsleepsite.com. And we work uh, one-on-one with you guys, with families um, from pretty much babies up to teens now. It'll be up to teens. Our, we don't have one-on-one adult um, programs yet. Um, we believe that that will happen sooner than later, but there's a ton of resources, free resources that you can access on the site, um, that can help you sleep better. We do a lot of corporate lunch and learns and things like that. So we'll go into businesses and offices and talk about the importance of sleep health for adults, um, through that way. Um, so goodnightsleepsite.com is the website. You can follow, we're all over social, uh, Instagram, we're at GN sleep site, Twitter at GN sleep site. Um, we're on Pinterest, goodnight sleep site. Facebook good night sleep site uh, and then the podcast this girl loves sleep so lots of ways to access some great sleep resources 
Good. Awesome. All right. So our end of the podcast question, we always love to ask people what media you're consuming. So podcasts, TV shows, books, anything that you would like to recommend. Um, I'm like, I'm a TV, I'm like a pop culture fanatic. So I'm a TV aholic and like everything I watch is probably too embarrassing to say out loud because I love all the trash TV. So okay, um, everyone loves a good teen mom too. It's okay. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so yeah, like I love pretty much all of Netflix, um, anything on Netflix, uh, podcasts I'm listening to more and more. I don't like I'll be honest. And it's funny because of what I do. I try and stay away from like the business podcast and like the self help podcast. And like, I need like comments by celeb or like Dak Shepard. Like I need yes. like, the total. Yeah. We love I him. Total junk in my ears. Um, <laughs> I learn a lot from my boyfriend, Dak Shepard. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. I love that one. Um, I just, I'm like obsessed right now. And it's so funny. If you knew me, you'd be like, seriously, but I'm like obsessed right now with like everything Motley Crue. Cause I just watched the dirt on Netflix. If you haven't oh. watched it, you have to watch it. Oh, I'm okay. Obsessed with that right now. So I just listened to that audiobook. So just stuff like that, like anything that will really just take my mind off of anything that's important. <laughs> it's what I watch or listen. Hey, Hey, you need that sometimes. I tend to lean in the same direction. Uh, after my second, I, I binge watched Pretty Little Liars and then I got Talia on board with it. Oh yeah. my God. I did that. I watched all of that. That was like two family trips ago. That was like my <laughs> show. Mm-hmm. And it was so, so addicting. Like I would watch it and I'd be like, I have to talk to someone about this. This is insane. And then I'm like, these people are 14. I am actually all excited because my kids are now like old enough for my kids don't scare easy, which I'm very fortunate with that. They, they like, like I, my, that's my genre. I like, like, you know, horror movies and things like that. And my kids. So now I love walking dad. That's like my show. And now my kids just started getting into it. Um, so I'm rewatching it now with them. So it's like super exciting. Cause I'm like, okay guys, <laughs> let's sit down and let's watch this. So, but I'm Don't lucky get to attach to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're learning that very slowly. <laughs> they might. Wasn't that the worst? It's like you'd fall in love with the character and then, like, two episodes later, they were dead. And you were just like, well, now what? I know. Why I did know. I even invest in you? Yeah, yeah exactly. Don't kill Daryl. <laughs> I mean, I've... My- that's when my youngest said, she's like, mom, does Daryl die? I'm like, and I, that's one thing. I'm like, I'm not telling you who lives or dies. But she's like, if Daryl dies, I just don't know if I can handle it. I mean, I basically, we haven't, my husband and I used to watch that show all the time. We stopped, like, years ago. But I yeah. remember saying that at one point. I said, if Daryl dies... I'm out of here. <laughs> not watching this anymore. Yeah. I won't say if he's alive or not. I don't want to spoil Ugh. it for any listeners. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been um, super helpful and we will talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye. I'm <laughs>